Tag Tuesday. Hey, how are you? I'm Ann Police. And I'm Denise Cooper. We're glad you're joining us. We are. Yay. Happy day. How are you? I'm good. We just had lunch. A delicious lunch. Oh my gosh. It was it was unexpected lunch. I know. We were like, McDonald's isn't serving breakfast still. <laughs> that's the only meal I really eat at McDonald's. Me too. I mean, that's <laughs> the only reason I want to go. And I, can I just, it's a pet peeve of mine. What? Why can't freaking McDonald's serve breakfast all day? How hard is that? Well, Let's t- let's take a quality control view of this. What is there quality had- control issues going on there? I mean, ha- you've had a fresh McMuffin and an old McMuffin. Why can't they just make one new at at two? Because it's fast food. They can make it at don't two. Don't make me explain fast food to you, Denise. I'm telling you, it's fast food. They <laughs> have it all together. They just don't want to do it. They make me mad. Yeah. 10.30 is too early on the morning to go and get breakfast. Right. Well, no. I'm just telling you, if they want to up their game, mm-hmm. Listen to a consumer. I'm just saying that now we've lost our, our McDonald's underwriting well, that we had for this podcast. A, maybe we're doing them a favor. <laughs> no, I want a McGriddle at 3.30 in the afternoon. I want a McGriddle. Especially with the amount of marijuana getting smoked in California. <laughs> Don't you think? I mean, I'm not one of those people, but I'm just saying people are munching out all day, every day. You went pretty quick to the to the marijuana. I do. I'm not. It's not. I'm not speaking for me. I'm speaking for a friend. Really? <laughs> I'm just saying. There's is munchies the fr- going on the all the time. Name rhyme with chemise? No. No. <laughs> it's not me. You Could you imagine me smoking marijuana? I don't want. You do to. not want the amount of giggling Mm-mm. and food Mm-mm. and just ridiculousness. Hijinks. <laughs> No. No one wants to see that. Speaking of hijinks, though, when we were driving home from our lunch, there was a woman walking a dog. It was a woman, right? Yeah. A woman walking a dog down the street. This dog. I want this dog. This is why she's bringing this up. This dog is the most gorgeous black. Is it a standard poodle? It's a big guy. It's a standard poodle. Like one of those big poodles. Now, my husband makes fun of anybody who's walking a standard poodle. He just uh, goes down the road of what in the world? Nobody in their right mind would ever have this kind of dog. Well... That is, he is not wrong because my husband and your husband are much the same, that same vibe. And my husband too would be like, what's with the standard, what's with the standard There's a poodle? lot of standard poodles in the community that I have our second home in, which mm. is Palm Springs area. That There's, seems right. Seems to be a lot of standard poodles. You know where else there are standard poodles? Huh. Hunting. Oh. This is, this is what I'm saying. My, my husband would be like, Give me a break with the standard poodle. Then he invited a friend to go hunting with him, a friend of a friend kind of thing. Can I bring my dog? Of course. Bring, you have a hunting dog? Yes. Bring, we're going pheasant And you were hunting. expecting something like my he pointers. He was expecting yes. these gorgeous purebred pointers, maybe a black lab. Up rolls a standard poodle. <laughs> and this dog <laughs> killed it. This dog oh was such a good God. hunter. Let me ask you, did that hunting standard poodle have the poofy legs and tail? I can't attest to the look of the poodle. Because I really want, and, and Anne always says I'm not allowed to do this, and my husband said I'm not either. But I've always wanted a poodle mm. that I could then shave mm. up so it had the pom-poms on the legs and on the tail, mm. the hair, a little pony on the top. Mm. And I could dye the legs and tail a certain color, like maybe Seasonally. ombre pink 
or like <laughs> for the season. Season totally. Like right now, I could do something with that. It could look like a candy corn. Have you seen those? We're not I, doing that. I want to do it so I'm gonna, bad. I'm going to come over to this house and there's going to be a poodle dyed to look like a turkey. Yeah, yeah. I'm, and I'm then the poodle you, dyed to look like Santa. I've seen them dyed. I follow this Instagram account, of course. I've gone down that rabbit hole of party poodles. By the way, that's what they call them. There's like poodles. Our friend of the I family. Say, doesn't Jason's sister-in-law have? Brother. Jason's brother, Josh. Freeze. Has three. The drummer st- for Foo Fighters. Yes. Yeah, so let's not... <laughs> I'm telling you, he's he's a he's We're a guy. We're calling him out right now. I'm calling him out because I love his dog. His one dog's named Wanda. Anyway, he's he's she's on a T-shirt. They have a special person come to their house. They dye him up, and they have him look like candy corn, or they can look like a cheetah. Like there's all kinds of things you can do for your dog, but the dog doesn't like it. How do you know? Because they don't, they don't. I guarantee it loves it. It's getting all the attention. People are touching it. People are doting over it. They don't care. You don't know. That's the point. I'm telling you, don't know. I like it, so it's going to like it. And it, I'm feeding it, so they're going to just do it for me, okay? I'm just saying, I'm never getting one. But every time I see oh. one, I'm like, I really want one of those dogs. And Anne's always like, oh, no, you don't. No, it's not happening. Well, yeah. and this this particular dog that we saw, the black standard poodle that yeah. we saw, was the proudest, most self-aware standard poodle I've yeah. ever seen in my life. He had an attitude. He was totally. strutting his stuff. I He's know. like, I am so cool. Don't you mess. He was like prancing. He he was he was as if it was a catwalk he was like check me out the funny thing is they always say you look like your animal yeah i didn't look at that lady at all no the, i <laughs> looked at the look- owner no there was no standard poodle Vibe. spreading going on with her she was kind of simple she was no yeah yeah <laughs> and i'm not trying Wait, to what, put what? down the owner i'm just saying i got it she didn't look like she was not the sleek looking i'm just no this the owner of that dog should have on louis vuitton head to toe she needed high heels on she needed high heels and she should have been in manhattan i don't know what she's doing in not unincorporated orange county i have no idea but the dog <laughs> was like i don't care where i am i am showing you who i've got oh that dog was yeah, the proudest it. dog if i come over here i swear <laughs> to you and there is a dyed dog there's gonna be an intervention our poor no, listen our poor didn't. um our poor guest yeah. Susie, has been sitting through this but i know Susie, Susie. well oh. Our listeners would know Susie as well because she's been on the podcast before. We're going to talk to her about something completely different. But Susie and her family are dog people. Yeah. What kind of dog do you have? Golden Retrievers. Love them. They're the best. Yeah. She has a little bit of everything, though. You've had other things. What's the little one? We had Golden Retrievers, and then we have like a little... Sheltie. Uh, Sheltie. You've had a couple Temu. Shelties. We named him after Tamu Solani. Because nice. we had Back Solani and you had Tamu. Yeah, once when <laughs> we were duck fans. Sure. No more. So sad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and Patches, who's like a Patches is toy Aussie. He's really little. He doesn't see very well and he can't hear. No, but he knows where there's food. Yeah. But you guys are dog people. And my mm-hmm. point was that I could see you would be not. Would you be opposed to a party poodle? Just the name alone makes you want to have one, right? Right. I mean, I think all of us could enjoy a party poodle. But I, I have a question. Yeah. If we would have known that these standard poodles were hunting dogs, yeah. would we have treated them so? Would we have treated them like party poodles? Should we have known that before that? I'm saying no. That's I'm just wondering if they were, they might be getting shaved for hunting. With the pom-poms? I don't know. So they... I don't know how long I've never seen an unshaved poodle. 
I've seen them. They get, they're like labradoodles. Like, you know, like labradoodles. Okay. That's what they kind of look that's like. That's kind of cute. They're super cute and furry, but yeah. I don't know. I, I'm no dog expert. You kind I, of are. I kind of like dogs, but that's about it. I don't, our listeners don't want to hear. This is not why we are, this is not why we brought Susie on to the podcast to talk about the pros and cons of a party poodle. Of dying your party poodle. But we're glad you're with us, Susie. Um, Thank you. Today, we're going to talk to Susie about um, an event that happened in, what, 20, 2013? 13, yeah. That you were involved in. Mm-hmm. You were a juror for mm-hmm. one of the most high-profile uh, court cases, criminal court cases here in Orange County, the murder of Maribel Ramos. Yes. Yes, I was. Mm-hmm. Was it your first time at jury duty? Let me just ask you that. I've, you know, we've all been called up for jury duty, and I've always gotten out of it. And yes. then it seemed like recently... Well, maybe at that time, they were starting to, to really deny people, like, yeah. I need to work. I need to support my family. They don't. They didn't care. They really needed jurors. And so I tried to get out of it, and they they wouldn't let me. So there I was. Yeah. And I was kind of wanting – I mean, don't you all kind of want to be part of this process just to see what it's like? Mm-hmm. So there was a part of me that did, but I also had a private practice. And trying to tell your patients that, you know, you couldn't be there <laughs> – for however long, because you never know. You don't that know. Was, that was tough. That was my biggest concern. How long was the case? How long did it? How long did you sit on the jury? Um, a month. Oh, that's a long time. It was a long time. So, for yeah. folks who don't know about Maribel Ramos, she um, just a real brief background. Um, she posted an ad for a roommate for her Orange County home, and um, the person who responded was a gentleman by the name of Casey Joy. Mm-hmm. Maribel was a 36-year-old U.S. Army veteran. She was a student at Cal State Fullerton, and she disappeared in 2013. And authorities from the beginning suspected that her roommate, who had only lived with her for about a year and a half, it was about 18 yeah. months, mm-hmm. they immediately expected it, uh, suspected Casey was involved. Mm-hmm. Um, they tracked his movements, and, you know, that led to the discovery of of her body so Mm -hmm. that's that's a very very vague overview and um you know we need to go in a little bit more about who maribel was because she was she was amazing woman at 36 years old a u.s army vet right i'm i remember watching i remember hearing about this case back in the day when Mm -hmm. it took place when you were the jury when you were on the jury i don't really remember you being on the jury but i do remember that you had served on this jury Mm-hmm. But you reminded me when we were talking about something else. One of the things that reminded that I loved about the case, which when you're talking about a murder case, you can't really love anything. But I it hit home because it was close to home. Yeah, she was from Fullerton. Mm-hmm. She she lived. Where did she live when she she lived in Orange, um, North Orange? She had moved in with her mother, and then her mother passed away, which is why she then got on Craigslist to find another roommate. Um. But yeah, she was like a local girl. She was she immigrated when she was a child from Mexico. She couldn't afford to go to school to be a police officer, so she decided she would enter the army so that she could support her education. And then 9/11 happened, mm-hmm. and she was then on um, a tour to Iraq. And I think she signed up for a second tour. Mm-hmm. So she was somebody who wanted to serve her country, who wanted to come back to the states, resume her education in criminal justice and I believe she was just shy of graduating two weeks when she was murdered oh I mm-hmm. didn't know that part I yeah. think they gave her a degree posthumously they did mm-hmm. yeah her sister um that's right it. her sister yeah. received it now this this is such a famous case it's not just Orange County centric we of course 
have knowledge of it because it was right in our backyard. But also, this thing was national, probably international. There's Dateline 2020 and 48 Hours, as well as other things like Oxygen Network did a yeah. thing. I mean, there's tons of stories about her because I, I, I don't know why. I mean, as someone who sat on the jury, what what was it about the case that made you go, this is this is really pulling at me? I think because she she was an immigrant, that she was changing her her life. Um, she was trying to change the trajectory of their family. You know, um, she gave of her herself uh, in the army for a country she was not born into. She also helped. She had um, post traumatic stress disorder mm-hmm. as well. She was diagnosed with that. So at Cal State Fullerton, she, in addition to getting her education, she also worked at the um, the office there where she attended to people who also had PTSD and mm-hmm. who were seeking their education. Mm-hmm. Right. So she was changing lives in that way. Um, Just a good member of the community. A good member helping, of the community. Helping out, giving back. She was really putting her money where her mouth was because she was very close with her sister and her niece. And I remember hearing stories about her of how she was not putting up with any crap with her niece, who was a teenager at the time, right? <laughs> yeah. And she was be like, this is what you're going to do and this is how you're going to do it. Yeah. And she was a role model for her and for so many other women. It takes a special somebody to serve in the military as a woman. And if you see pictures of her, she's a beautiful young woman. I mean, it wasn't this, she just, not that that would matter, but she was still feminine and she was still a beautiful woman. Mm -hmm. I think that has something to do with it as well. Um, The fact that she wanted to serve in her community going forward as a police officer to defend her community and the irony of what happened to her is not lost on all of us, right? Right, right, right. Number one. Number two, she was a woman and she was killed by an older man. And I think women in general, (laughs) you know, we hate when that happens. And that just speaks to domestic violence and all of the things that are triggers for a lot of women as well. And I think people really had a lot of compassion for her. Well, it's, you know, as a woman, it's I can I don't mean to speak for everyone, but it's our biggest fear that because men just can overpower you no problem but you think that you are doing something good by giving this guy who claimed he came out from knoxville and he you know he claimed that the reason he was and i say claimed because no one is actually sure of this Mm -hmm. guy's entire background he was never forthcoming and there's not a lot of information about him yeah but he claimed he came out from knoxville tennessee he claimed that he had the reason he was here was because of a job and it was like oh well let's this is working out well for both of us i need the rent i need a renter to help me out with this and you need a place to live and he was sort of a friendless bit of a sad sack type of guy i think he appealed to her better side yes right i think she felt for him and i think she felt like he was kind of an older brother maybe even a father figure yeah i mean because um, he was quite a bit older than her yeah I right think he was in his 50s she was 36. she was 36 he was 50 well yeah i think he was 53 because he was born in 1960 at the time and he has kind of a been. gentle face and i don't yeah. mean to be i don't mm-hmm. mind it like say and and stereotype but he was asian he's korean he's korean Korean. and i don't know to me it just would appeal like i wouldn't think you don't look at him and think he's a creeper or he's a terrible guy you just look at him he looks like okay guy and yeah he did have a trusting appearance um he didn't seem threatening at all let's let's go to the courtroom Mm -hmm. so you're sitting there your jury number what one your juror member number one yes Tell us the sort of vibe in the courtroom. Well, I mean, I thought the selection process was interesting. Um, 
they, you know, basically they're asking you if you can be, you know, impartial and non-judgmental. That was really the only thing that they asked. And they asked for your background. They asked if you knew anyone in the police department or in the superior court. Of course, our neighbor, I needed to drop her name. That didn't seem to matter to anyone. But it was a very fast process. I expected a lot more interviewing, you know, and everything. And I certainly thought as a therapist, there is no way in heck yeah. that they're going to select you, right. you know. Um, so I thought for sure that I wouldn't get picked, but I did. And then the, the process went pretty quickly. To be honest, I don't think that the uh, defense attorney really cared too much. And that might mm. be speaking out of turn. You guys can no. do what no, you want. No, that, that's, that's your opinion. That's just my opinion. Yeah. That's just my opinion. He was very agreeable to almost everyone that the prosecution wanted to put on the jury. He didn't seem to argue a, a bunch. Even during the trial itself, there was not a lot of evidence compared to what the prosecution had. So I just don't think, I think he thought he was just going to try his best to do his job. Fair trial. Fair trial. Public Defender's Office? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you think that, let's just, and we're going to kind of speed up this a little bit by saying this, by me saying this, do you think that he thought because there was no circumstantial, there was only circumstantial evidence that he didn't have to worry about it? That do you think that he thought he was going to get this guy off pretty easily? I think so. I really? think so. And I think that's why they put a therapist on the jury because I think the prosecution was hoping that I could see maybe past the fact that there was no physical evidence and think more about this, you know, Casey as a person and sort of like seeing through him a little bit. That's the only thing I can come up with. Mm. So why the defense allowed me to be on it, I don't know. But that again, it kind of leads me to believe that maybe he knew that you know what would the outcome was going to be was did i don't remember did did casey joy take the stand did he he did not he did not Mm-mm. he was there in court every day he was there in court every day was was there any family members or friends there that were supportive of him no her not entire one. family was there mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they would take over uh, i'd say half of the courtroom was family he didn't have a single person there not that i was aware of well, his background, from what I understand, and when you read about him and try to investigate him, there's not much to look for. No, there's not. There, you really don't. We, we hit on that a little bit. He came here from Knoxville. That's what he said. That's what he said. <laughs> we don't really know how he got here or why he got here. We were talking off mic, and it's still a question I have. Do we know if he targeted her in any way? She put a Craigslist ad out, but did he investigate her to see if maybe... It was a good match. Was she good looking? Like, Did was he, wanted, he looking for a single good looking Was he woman? looking for a good single looking woman? He seemed like a lonely soul. He, he seemed was. like he didn't yeah. have anybody. I know that he was going through some sort of family turmoil. Mm-hmm. His parents had died. Mm-hmm. His parents had died and he was estranged from his sister because she, um, she knew that he had anger issues and she mm-hmm. actually put out a restraining order on him. Oh. Because they were fighting about the estate. Did that come out in... No, it did not. I found out after. You found out mm-hmm. after. So you didn't know anything about his prior anger, anger management issues, issues no. or anything like that? Mm-mm. And wow. the sister wasn't there. No, she wasn't there. And I think we've never heard from her. She never came out with a sta- statement even after hmm. he, so, he was convicted. So what do you think about my theory that he might have... We don't know, but that he could have targeted her in some way to be his her roommate. I wouldn't at all put that past him, given, you know, reflecting back at all. 
And he did come out. He flew all the way out to look at the apartment, and he met her, and I'm sure that sealed the deal because she was probably very charming and, you know, attractive and all the rest of it. And so he agreed to move in with her. And she probably thought she was in safe hands. I can only imagine that she probably did let her guard down very, very quickly with him. I think she did. I think she did. Um, And I think he, you know, when you see interviews of him, you can see how he communicates. He is very calm and cool. He doesn't get rattled easily. There was nothing about him that probably stood out to her that was a warning sign at all. Um, And I think that's, (laughs) if you flip that over, I think there was a lot of um, sort of like borderline tendencies that he had, Mm. you know, and I think that only comes out in private, if you know a little bit about that. So that's just my background in psychology that would tell me that he'd be very good in public. Mm -hmm. And and then, you know, behind closed doors, he's someone else. When you sat on the jury um, and you were taking this all in, were you thinking of things like that? I was. I was trying to manage that. I didn't want to have those thoughts, but I couldn't help but have them. That would be like tearing off a piece of myself. Yeah, and I wanted wanted to use my skill set in some way that would be helpful. And I did bring it into the jury room, but I I was very limited in what I said because I didn't want – that wasn't my job. That My job was not to diagnose him or to make any assumptions about his personality traits or anything about that so I tried to keep that under wraps but yeah every once in a while I'd say wow it's, that's not normal behavior that mm. he's doing mm-hmm. you know when you would look at him on the while he was sitting there did he have any sort of look about him did he have you know I've seen in different we've been in courtrooms where people are just like looking like it's just another day in the, at, at the office or a smug look or a kind of a sinister look was there anything about his look in the in the courtroom that made you pause or think anything about it he kind of looked like he had nothing to worry about like the first Mm. thing that you said just Mm. like another day at the office he never looked at us Mm. he never looked at anybody he kind of was writing on a pad of paper you know kind of doodling Mm -hmm. um, and just didn't seem that interested what about the family oh that'll make me emotional um they they cried often you could hear them i actually never looked i was positioned by a wall a partition between myself and the rest of the courtroom so i literally would have to dive forward and turn around to and be very obvious about looking at them so i just didn't and um but i could hear i could hear them softly crying i could hear um them talking amongst each other um of course we were on breaks we'd have to use the restroom or go out into the hallway and they were milling around there but we had very strict instructions not to speak to one another and everybody took that very seriously no um you don't want to compromise the case no no and that was my biggest fear my biggest fear was that something was going to happen somebody was going to blow it and we were going to mistrial have a mistrial and then this family would have to go through it again Mm -hmm. so i wanted to be very careful and play by the rules Every night you went home. Yeah. And what were your instructions about that? Oh, they made that. They drilled that into us before we left the room. You are not to speak about the case in any way with anyone. It was very clear. Mm -hmm. And being a therapist, confidentiality, this was not a hard stretch for me. Right. I, you know, you do want to go home and... Tell your husband, oh my gosh. (laughs) Yeah, of course. Um, But I I also didn't because I really wanted to, to have justice for Maribel. 
Um, and at the same time, I realized I was becoming a little bit of an advocate for her. Mm. And I needed to pull that way back until I had heard all the evidence. So <sighs> I was very aware of my like draw toward we need to, you know, we need to have justice for Maribel, but oh, wait a second, you know, the, the evidence hasn't been presented, all of it. Please keep that opinion to yourself and, you know, try to listen to everything. So I tried to go in with an open mind. Don't you think that would be the hardest thing? Oh, it's impossible. That's that's the struggle of the of the juror is you're listening to both sides of a story, but you can't help. It's just human nature. You can't help but identify with one or the other. And, you know, that's what that's the opposite of what you're supposed to do. Yeah. But especially in a story like this where you've got this beautiful young woman who's just adding to the community, not taking away. And then you've got a vampire that comes in from the yeah, side, you know, at what point mm-hmm. did did they find her remains according to the, like, what's the timeline of that? Okay. So, um, on, I say April 21st was when she made that 911 call. Okay. So he moves in. I think he had been there almost a year and that's when they were having the best of times. He even took her on a cruise. Yes. They partied together. They were having a great time. She was taking him under her wing. She had a lot of friends, um, at the same time, she was dating, and she realized that he was starting to get jealous any time that she would come home mm. from a date. So she was beginning to realize that he was having feelings for her, but she was very clear about her feelings for him. So no time would you say that she let him on, okay? So then on April 21st, um, he lost a job. He wasn't able to pay the rent. They begin to argue about this. And then she places a 911 call to the police because she's aware that this guy is becoming a real problem. He's starting to sort of maybe make underlying threats to her about kicking him out because she wanted him out by the end of the month. Um, And I don't know what he said to her. There's no evidence at all about what he might have said in these conversations, but she places his call to 911 and she wants it recorded and put on the record that if something happens to someone else, that she had hurt someone, that she did it in self-defense. So as a, a woman in the army who knew how to defend herself, she knew what she was capable of, and he was pushing her buttons, and she was afraid that she might have to defend herself and wanted it on record. And she was tearful. She gave uh, the police her name, his name. Apparently, they came out to investigate, mm-hmm. and she decided not to make a report, and he promised that he would leave. So that happens on April 21st, which is about a week and a half before she goes missing. We And we do have the audio of the 911 call, so let's take a listen. Hi, Orange Boy. Hi. It's not an emergency, but I just, um, is it recording? Is there a what? Is this conversation recording? Yes, every conversation is recorded. I'm just, like, calling so that you guys know that if something happens, I did it because I was trying to defend myself. All I'm trying to say is that I'm warning you. Um, honestly, I will fight for my life, and I swear I will, I will kill him. His full name is Juan Chul, but what I understand is Juan Chul Joy. Um, on May 2nd, she was captured on camera dropping an envelope off, which was probably the rent to the apartment manager. That's the only video that they have of her, of Casey, of anybody. She was in her pajamas, and she appeared relaxed. And that was, I think, a little bit after 7 p.m. When she got back to the apartment, they had another fight about him leaving. She wanted him out the next day. 
And I guess it got pretty heated because she calls her then-boyfriend, Paul Lopez, I believe is his name, mm-hmm. and puts him on speakerphone. And so he's hearing this argument that's taking place. He can't really hear exactly what Casey is saying, so we don't even have that mm-hmm. to go by. But it's clear that they're having an argument, and Paul says, if you don't leave tomorrow like Maribel's asking, I will come over and remove your things from the apartment myself. Oof. So that happens. Did, did Paul, um, did he testify in court he did he was definitely one of the people they had to rule out right sure away, the boyfriend sure oh, i mean yeah. it, it, he's he's He'd be under suspicion immediately absolutely yeah. yeah yeah um interestingly then the next day at about 10 o'clock in the morning kc calls the police and wants to file a missing persons report on her because the she next didn't, day the next morning sure that's not suspicious at all buddy no so he wants to file this report. Sorry. He's a mastermind. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> Brilliant mind. Yeah, right? <laughs> Not. Yeah. Um, so he files a report or wants to file a report. Um, and then he texts the sister and tells her that she didn't come home. Sister is like, yeah, well, she has a boyfriend and she's dating. You know, she was also dating other people. Um, and so they weren't very concerned about it. But that night, she didn't show up for a baseball game. She never misses it. She loved it, doing it so much that they knew that that, was, that didn't seem right at all. So that, that night, um, I think her family and some friends went over to the apartment. It was locked. Her car was there. Um, her light was on in her room. Her sister just had a bad feeling. Called the police. The police bust down the door. And they go in. And it doesn't look like anything was going on, except when they went in her room, her sister looked at her bed. And an army woman always mm-hmm. makes her bed always yeah but the bed was all disheveled but the but everything else looked okay um but her little purse her keys and her cell phone were missing but her car was there mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so she's like this isn't something's wrong yeah uh so then the police i think then after that they start putting out flyers and the the family and the friends are getting very involved and every time that happens is what i understand the police start to get more involved than they would if it was a child they'd have been all over it sure but when they have an adult missing and only for a short period of time they don't really jump on that but when the family starts to get involved they're on tv they're making you know a lot of noise statements a lot of Mm -hmm. noise Mm -hmm. then the police started to get involved casey when the police came to the door, is hiding in the back seat of his car on the street, watching this all happen with binoculars. Fun. How, how do you know that? We find this out later because he's being investigated by the police, and he cops to doing this. Oh, he admitted. Actually, to doing wait. It. I'm sorry. Let me take that back. So okay. I think what happened was they bust down the door. All of this. They're in there. They are calling Casey. Where are you? We'd like to speak to you. He's in the car hiding. They call a couple times. He doesn't pick up. Then he calls them and says, I'm in the backseat of my car. I'm afraid to come in. (laughs) (laughs) Again, Mm -hmm. another mastermind move. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, though, I will say as a juror, I'm like, I might be freaked out. Yes. I might be freaked out about something. You know, maybe that was not a a dumb move. Right. You know, I'm so scared. I don't know who killed her or why she's missing. And I'm not going to go back in there because then I look it looks bad, too, for me. He right. knows she made a 911 call about him, doesn't she? Doesn't yeah, he? I think he's he's more thinking in those terms. Mm-hmm. But in my jury mind, I'm thinking maybe he is scared. Can I, I don't a- know. Can yeah. I ask you, go back to the 911 call that she made. When do the police re- realize that that 911 call was made by her in regards to possibly him? Because 
she's gone missing, they're not going to go, hey, is there any 911 calls? Or do they? <laughs> no, they do not find that out right. until afterwards. Oh, they don't know until, until no, afterwards. After what? Until after they start investigating oh. Casey and they start going through their investigation. The detective, who is amazing, Joey Ramirez. Uh, Orange County Sheriff's Department? Uh, I think so. Baller. Yeah. Joey oh, Ramirez. my God. <laughs> he was amazing. Shout out to you, Joey. Absolutely. Thank you for your service and he, yeah. for doing the job. He was great. He was yeah. so good. Yeah. But yeah, they found out later. So that I'm sure that was another uh, nail in the coffin, so to speak. What is he saying when he is interviewed? He is saying that he, um, the night that she went missing, they did have an argument. Um, he wanted to stay for two more weeks and he was upset that she wouldn't let him. She, he says at about 9 o'clock, she goes huffing and puffing off to her room to go to sleep. He gets in the car to take a drive to cool off. Mm-hmm. So, And that's the end that's of that. It. That's the end of that. And that's the last he ever saw of her. He doesn't know mm-hmm. where she could be. Mm-hmm. He j- She didn't take her car. Nope. But she left and she's never seen her again. Right. So what was his... When he called to make a missing persons report, what did they say? I'm sure they talked about it in court. Like... He know he knocked on her door and she wasn't there. How did that? You know, this is where it gets weird because he he waited to call until the next morning, but he does tell the police that when he came back from his drive, is when she was gone. How did he know? Her car her car's out front. Her car's there. She has a boyfriend. She has a boyfriend. Who knows if her bedroom door was closed? I don't know, but that's that was suspicious. So when you're looking at circumstantial evidence, you know, we're looking at his behavior mm-hmm. and what he's saying, and, and some of that just doesn't match up. But there's no proof. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. There was nothing specific. But, and, he, and it would be normal to be like, okay, she's not home. Maybe she's with her boyfriend. Maybe she went out, whatever. Right. Even though her car's there, maybe she walked somewhere. I don't know. Maybe the boyfriend weird. came and got her. Yeah. Well, who, knows? who knows? It could have been a million things. Exactly. Right? And so he waits till the next morning. Okay. That's believable. You know, at mm-hmm. this point, it's like, okay, anything could have happened. There was, she had bottoms on that were polka dot. They found the top that matched the bottoms that had blood on the sleeve. Mm-hmm. But the only DNA uh, evidence that came back was that it was her blood, mm-hmm. not his. So again, <clears throat> so close. Right. So close. When he finally uh, got out of the trunk or wherever he was, the backseat of his car. Yeah. <laughs> did he, wa- did, what, what happened? Um... I, I think they left. I don't, you don't hear anything other than, what are you doing back here? And he's saying that he's afraid. He doesn't know if the person's coming back. Um, and then they, they, he said, now you broke down the door. What am I going to do? And I think they fixed the door for him. And then that was the end of it. I think they knew, okay, we're going to start investigating this guy. But they let him go to sleep. This is the magic of this Joey <laughs> detective guy is he just made friends mm-hmm. with him mm-hmm. just slowly but surely you could see this relationship building and how brilliant he was at building trust with casey um and casey wanted to please him sure so he he talked a lot and, yeah and gave himself up you know for, at time to time even though he, i think there was absolutely no evidence there was just some things that he said some things that he did that were not normal that's the thing about, you know, you meet these guys, a detective, so to speak, you know, whatever, a, a Orange County Sheriff's deputy, and they're they're the kind of person that a guy like this Casey, who's obviously missing a whole bunch of stuff in the man department, he just is not <laughs> he's 100%. An he's, a, he's an outcast. Mm-hmm. You want 
a sheriff's deputy to think you're cool. Totally. Absolutely. You want to make friends with him. and You if, don't have any friends anyway. You don't, have a, mm-hmm. you don't have any friends. And if this guy, if I can engage him and he engages me back, that's magical. So yeah. he's at a huge disadvantage and doesn't even know it. I think you know? he convinced Casey that Casey was going to help them solve this murder. Absolutely. Oh, like he was going to yeah. be the guy that was yeah. going to help him. Because he's so close to Maribel. And you right. cared about her. Yeah. And you wanted the best for her. And that was the other thing. Every time he was interviewed, he would say, um, she was my best friend. She's my only friend. Mm-hmm. She's my only family. Yeah. But there's zero crying. There's zero, like, he looks distraught. He's just saying it matter-of-factly, which I thought was odd. That is... He never partnered with the family in order to find her. He never went to... I don't think he went... Maybe he did go to the vigil, and I think people were not happy about that. I think at this point... The family was beginning to be concerned that maybe he had something to do with it. I think that they were concerned from the beginning. And I, I'm just now remembering that I believe that Casey called the sister and told her that he was in love with her. Mm. Oh. And the sister said, you know, no. you're, you just have a crush. Um, she doesn't feel that way about you. You need to move on with your life. So um, I think Maribel said something at one point, like this is where his behavior gets weird. She said, you'd look good with the tattoo. He got a Bengal tiger huge on his arm after she said that. And then she said, you know, you're you're too old for me, Uh, which of course he was. So he goes out and spends 10 grand on a facelift. Or to get his eyes done. I can't remember exactly what that was. It was was a facelift. I I read about it. It was a facelift. It might have been his eyes as well. He got the double duty going on. (laughs) I love the the little detail of the Bengal tiger tattoo. Mm -hmm. It says something. I'm not sure what, but it's really disturbing. I know what it says. What? It says, I'm not much of a man, but I want to be. I just am shocked and awed by the fact that she still stayed in letting him stay in her home after the 911 call. She already knew in her head mm-hmm. that she might have to defend herself. Mm-hmm. And if she did, she would kill him. Yeah. And I think it's something that I hope all the listeners and the people that know this case are paying attention to. Because I think it's unfortunately a tale that needs to be told. And people need to listen and be aware of the people that are in their lives. And if they feel frightened that they not just make a call to the police, but maybe they can take action and separate themselves from someone that they are afraid of. We we hear it all the time. In all of these stories, you hear about this woman or even a man confiding in his friend that my wife's crazy or my husband has threatened me. If something happens to me, he did it or she did it. Mm-hmm. I always find it interesting that they stay there. If I really thought my husband was a threat to me, I couldn't sleep in the same home with him. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. As as someone who had a practice of, of your own, who saw all kinds of interesting marriages and relationship situations, it's not beyond the... What Denise is saying is correct. If Denise came to me and was like, listen, if something happens to me... <laughs> This is who did it. That's when I throw a bag over her head. I throw her in the back of my car and I start driving her away. I don't... Do you let that person go back to... It's funny because I think then the onus of responsibility becomes on the person that's being harmed when really the onus of responsibility is how good that person is at fooling you that it's probably going to be okay. Yes. I think Casey fooled her. Yes. He probably went so far, maybe threatened her, and then maybe dialed it way back. And she believes in the goodness of humanity as a personality trait of hers, right? Sure. Like a lot of us do. And we just want to, we just want to get through it. Yeah. We just want it to be over and get through it. And maybe in 24 hours, it'll all be over. Oh, not the truth. Right? There was also yeah. a, a, a 
financial component, right? He wasn't paying any longer, but the only reason she had him in the first place is because she needed him and she needed his money. Yeah. Yeah, she needed help paying rent. That's the, and, the and, struggle of living in Southern California. I know. You know. And they were friends and they had gone out and done things. They went on a cruise together. Which I think he paid, he paid for. for. Someone like Maribel, who has several irons in the fire here, she needs help with her rent. Correct. She's also taking this guy on as a friend yeah and he has offered her some things like you know a cruise and different things she's brought him to i think work parties and stuff definitely family part thanksgiving yeah so there is a connection there Mm -hmm. i get that you don't it's very hard for some people not for people at this table but it's very hard for some people to just cut you out cut other people out and go yeah we're done here Mm -hmm. that is definitely something that people struggle with to a a degree that sometimes this is i I couldn't have done it at 36 a single woman at 36 you don't know would have had that no i mean i i even now and part of it is that i just don't pay attention i guess i don't really look at people having a ulterior motive in a relationship Mm. with me do i mean i think that's do we ever no as women a lot of times we don't i don't know to be honest how many times in your life did you know that somebody was probably interested in you but for whatever circumstances you just chose to sort of push it to the side and say oh well yeah it's okay it's I'm, fine. I'm just yeah it's fine so i think that's probably probably what she did and again it's like can you have an innocuous relationship with someone that you know might have a crush on you and it's probably okay and safe probably you can with, a lot of that you can yeah. without the fear of being murdered right, sure right i think maybe so. it's also a, a, a form of flattery Could right be. that somebody sure. is interested in me i mean I think she probably benefited in whatever way. Mm-hmm. Um, we aren't saying that this is any way, shape, or form her fault. Oh, no, There's yeah. no, 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 but no, what no, you're no. talking about is, is to be honest, some of the things that played in my head as well. Right. What was this relationship? Were they possibly intimate, but nobody really knew? Mm-hmm. And would that, what does that mean? Well, okay, then she still didn't deserve to be killed, mm-hmm. but you, you toy with these things in your mind. But so, you'd see it would lend itself to to motive. Well, absolutely. If she rejected him mm-hmm. after they had something, mm-hmm. we don't know. I think if there was anything to be had, he would have professed it in when he was being interviewed. He would have said something to the effect, "We had a relationship." You think like it would have been a notch? For I think him he would on... have. I think he would have bragged about it, and he avoided saying that, even though he had made several statements to to other people about his affections for her. He yeah. never told that to the police the police were always it was like she used to get mad at me and tell me she wasn't attracted to me i don't know why she said that we were just having a nice time and then she starts getting mad at me so he never mm. cops to the fact that he is in love with her because he knows better mm-hmm. that's the he one thing he just enough. didn't yeah he never gave into that on the night that he um that he came out of the back seat of the car mm-hmm. uh he is did he meet the detective on that night yes did the detective say anything? I assume he testified in court. The detective? Did he take the oh, stand? Oh, well, yes. He yes. Was, yeah, yeah. A lot. Uh, I'm just I'm just remembering right now. Sure. Yeah. He he was like days and days of his testimony. He's the yes. he's the key he's, to this whole yeah. thing. He's the investigator, yeah. Did he mention at, that uh, Casey looked disheveled? Did he have scratches? Did he have anything wrong with him? Yes. So they... That night, I think they took his phone and they took his computer. Mm -hmm. So at this point, they're making steps toward sort of letting him know, like, we're watching you. Sure. So they removed that. They said that they wanted him to come down to the station, I believe, the next day. Mm -hmm. So he knew he was going to be interviewed. When that happened, he had not just scratches, but puncture wounds. 
when I saw it, I was like, wow. And we know that Maribel was in a remote area that where there was barbed, barbed wire. Yes. When they found her body. When they found her. So we know this. I'm looking at his scratches. He's saying that he goes to Eisenhower Park to walk a dog, that there's fishing lines that get stuck in the bushes, and then the ducks get caught in it, and he cares so much about the wildlife <laughs> there that he dives into the bush to get the fishing line out so it doesn't hurt the ducks. Everyone in the room is like, mm-hmm. That's like the weakest story. Problem is, cops go out to the park. There are thorny bushes everywhere. There's fishing line around the duck's neck. So it's, what are you It's a real to say? story, actually, it's, that he's seen, and he used it as his alibi. Yeah, yeah. Anything on his face or neck? That he had a scratch on his face, which he said was his um, from his facelift. No. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's bad doctor. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's just not a good surgeon. No. But um, other than that, no, nothing real, like, because I'm going to, from what you're describing, it seems like those injuries that he got, the scratches, the puncture wounds, were from disposing of her body. Mm-hmm. It doesn't sound like she put up a fight because there would have been scratches on his face, on his neck, a black eye, possibly a broken nose. She's yeah. a tough chick. Absolutely. I, and all, there was none of that. None of that. You would no also physical think evidence at all that there was... A struggle. A struggle. On him. On him. And on her, the body was so decomposed, yeah. we got zero evidence Except one very disturbing piece that nobody talks about. I don't know why no one spoke about this in any of the interviews that you see, but I know it to be true because I saw the photos and I saw the description of what they found. But they did find her underwear beside her. It was off of her. It was beside her. And he had made a weird comment to the cops. When you find her, you might find on her why this was not really an explosion in the courtroom or came out in an interview or in any of the things that were written about this case that was not there but that was definitely part of the evidence that we looked at so did he have hair was was hair found dna hair found they think that he may have assaulted her after her death and then placed the underwear next to her Mm -hmm. wait you said you might find hair on her or on the underwear? He what just said he, on her. On when her, you okay. find her, you might find. I think at this point they were saying that, okay, we think she's dead. And so now he's saying, well, when you find her, it was the oddest thing. I mean, that's like, that's hmm, like admission what? to me. And then I think he was trying to say, you're going to find all kinds of DNA stuff all over the place because we live together in the apartment. So he was trying to throw them off. But I think at the same time he was leading them. Mm-hmm. To directly, him. so when they when they he, he said those words, mm. they had not found her body yet, though. Right. So then they go find her body, and they see this. They just see her underwear, but they couldn't um, because it was so long. It had been out there so long. Yeah. They how couldn't long do an was autopsy. how long was it before they found her body from the time she went missing? Uh so you can. Think it about was this. the yeah. It was the day that they caught him on the computer at the library how long was it before after he made after they he made this statement and before they found the body how long was it from the time she went missing till they found her body so they found her on may 16th and she went missing on may 2nd or may 2nd or may 3rd Mm -hmm. so it's a few weeks a few weeks that wasn't Mm -hmm. very long No. no but it was out there for you know we're very familiar with the area 
Orange County is a desert, no matter what anybody says. Yeah. <laughs> it, it truly is. And then where she was placed is was very hot. Direct sun. Uh, she was decomposed just to a point where there was nothing about her remains that would allow investigators to tell how she died, in what manner, Not at et cetera. All. No, and the animals were there, so yeah. it was just... Do we think that he killed her on May 2nd or 3rd and immediately disposed of the body? Was there any talk of that? Like he went Um, and dug that ditch and put her in it immediately or did he was she well we we have to assume that the last time she was seen was on that surveillance camera a little bit after seven casey calls the police to report her missing at 10 o'clock the next morning somewhere between there and i was praying to god i could not believe there was not a camera that could capture him in a car anything what about his phone so they took his phone his phone had nothing on it at all didn't have him computer didn't have anything no there's no there was no google Finding him he back left and forth. The, he left the phone at home. He wiped, he, and I think and he, he wiped it. He he wiped everything clean. The other piece of evidence that was discussed um, was that he switched cars. He was renting a car. Oh. Uh, shortly after her disappearance, and after I think he had been investigated, he exchanged that car oh. for another car. That car rental agency called the police. The police came out with the dog, and the dog did smell Maribel in the original car that was still not proof because she could have been in there in the car exactly just riding along in the car that's the problem when you live with someone yeah i know so that was just another little bit yeah but again all of these things are going to add up they do to to yeah to to meet the standard that we were going for so when you think back about the the trial who was the most compelling witness the detective really yeah the interviews with casey definitely um there was recorded interviews that you were able to listen to yes and they and they were they were audio taped some of them and they were also videotaped Mm -hmm. so we got to see him and watch his behavior nothing about his behavior in the police station was again like he was in the courtroom just another day like ask go ahead he turned over his DNA, he turned over his computer, his phone. He had access to the apartment. He was just like prostrating himself on the ground, being like, whatever you need to do, which made him, and I think in his mind, sound like a hero. Sure. Go right ahead. I have nothing to hide. Yes. Well, the detective has been feeding him the idea that he is going to be the hero in this, that he can make a difference in this case, mm-hmm. and that he can really help his friend. Yeah. We can find the murderer. Yeah. Did Casey, do you remember if he ever suggested that it was somebody that he could think of, maybe the boyfriend? Did he try to place the blame on anybody else? Well, of course. He tried to say that it was, you know, an ex-boyfriend that Maribel was dating a lot, that um, it could have been a stranger. I mean, he was throwing things around. But he didn't fight too hard in that direction, interestingly enough. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He was more on the defense. I think is my impression of mm. when he was being interviewed. And plus, they um, interviewed all of the boys, the men that she had associated with at all. They all had alibis. They all came out clean. Of course. Yeah. It, I mean, circumstantial, be damned. It what it does, sometimes it is the point of least resistance. It's the most obvious person. Yeah. And the most obvious person with a motive is right. him, is someone who's been jilted. So you, you, he gets, you're sitting there on the jury. We don't have DNA evidence to speak of. We don't have cause. Mm -mm. We don't. No cause of death. No cause of death. Mm -hmm. We don't have, we don't really know when 
or how she goes. Right. We just know she's not there and the body is in Peter's Canyon. Right. Is that where they found it? Yeah. yeah. Santiago Canyon. Santiago. Santiago, Santiago Canyon. Canyon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They don't, they find the body there. How in the world did you put two and two makes four? How in the world did you put him in? How At did the he scene get? Of the yeah. Crime, how so did we? How did we get to a place where he got convicted? Because he took us to the scene of the crime. They always say the 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 murderer goes back to the scene of the crime, and he did that virtually through mm. his Google search. At the public library. At the public library. And let me tell you something. Before he even left the library, the the police were already there and already found her almost before he even left the library. Mm-hmm. So. He just took them right there. Tell us what happened in the library. Why would that have made a difference? Well, they were they were surveilling him. I believe that is the yes, word. That's right. Yes. So, um, <laughs> and he kept going to the library because they had taken his phone and his computer. So he was going to the library and he was looking very suspicious in there. He would always go to the very back of the library, to the corner where nobody could see over his shoulder. So the cops couldn't go in and sort of spy on him. And there were no cameras also that were pointed at the computers for privacy purposes. Um, but they think his behavior is strange enough, so they get a warrant to be able to go in, and they instruct the librarian to only allow him to sit at this particular computer, which they had rigged, so that they could watch him in real time as oh. he was searching. So they they can see exactly. They've taken over the computer on the er- yeah. their end, and they can watch him. Yeah, they're oh, across the street. That's so interesting. They're across the street, either at an office or a van. I love I'm not this really stuff. sure. I know, so good. And he he googles things like you know how long does it take for a body to decay, <laughs> how long you know Jeez. what's you know the pinging of the phone. You know, does the phone have to be gone? I don't know some stuff about the phone, and some other things. Mm. So then they googled that, and I'm sure now they're like. Ding, you know, that's that, that's good. But then he goes to Google Maps and he finds out from, oh, I think he goes on the Facebook page, finds out that they're having this awareness walk for Maribel. And then he he is searching the, the, the distance between that walk and where he pulls out and goes to this one spot by this tree. Just mm-hmm. some rando spot. Rando spot. Mm-hmm. And he's trying to figure out how long it, it takes to get from one spot to the other. They go out there. Because in the, 45 this, minutes, they find her. This random mm-hmm. spot, why would he want to know that? Yeah. What was that? Do you think that he would have been convicted without that information? I don't think that some of the jurors that I worked with and some of the challenges that I felt like they were having with the circumstantial evidence, without that, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I think that would have made all the difference. For the most part, everyone was shell-shocked. Everybody looked like they were had PTSD from just listening to all of this evidence sure. over a month's time. From, you know, witnessing the family. So we all just went into a room. I was scared to death. That was the one time I felt so much fear and anxiety was going in that room. Like, what's going to happen right now? And who are these people? And You just don't know how people think. Yeah, you don't. So interestingly enough, you're supposed to pick your... for the you should call it a foreman now it's a four person sure so they we pick this and i think this is going to be a big process we got to interview ourselves we've got to talk about who we are and we got to pick the smartest person <laughs> in the room so i was pretty sure it wasn't going to be me so i felt a little <laughs> bit calmer at that point but it's funny because we literally went in the room everyone's like who wants to be the four person <laughs> some guy picks his hand up and everyone agrees to it okay because nobody else wants to do nobody it nobody else wants to do it and we realize it doesn't really matter because the only job that person has is to sign a p- piece of paper putting the verdict on there and signing yeah. it. Yeah. Other than that, we all knew we were all in this together. Sure. So it didn't matter who has the pen in their hand. Right. And so we decide, first off, let's take a vote. Just cold right out of the gate. Let's just see where everybody is, which I thought was really interesting. Mm-hmm. 
and we didn't even do it anonymously, like on a piece of paper. It was like everyone was it show of hands? Yeah, like okay. so you could see who was. Yeah, we were all uh, looking around, like you know. Uh, okay. So you know how many felt that he was guilty, and nine hands go up, and then two people felt he was not guilty. Oh. Uh. At this point, now I'm like, oh, I'm in Oz. Like, how Uh could you have sat through what I did and not feel that there was enough evidence that he was guilty? But two people didn't feel that way. And then one person felt he was guilty but was undecided and wanted to go through the full deliberation process. Which you can can respect that. Yes. So immediately there's heated discussions and people are, you know – going after the two people that think he's not guilty what are you talking about what do you mean blah 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 and that's when i you know one of the things i said is everyone deserves to be heard we have to figure out how to get along so let's just listen to what they have to say without any judgment about it yeah even though i was like wtf because <laughs> <laughs> the one of the women was sitting across from me and she was very tearful and very emotional and i was just like we you know you got to get it together girl we've got like we've put got your work big girl to do. panties on this yes. is your job so what we found out was the two people had the deepest personal fear of putting somebody innocent in jail. I, I get that. I do too. I get that. I respect that. And then, but my comment was, <sighs> my biggest fear is that he's going to walk free if he if we do find him guilty. So both are possible. Yeah. Would we all agree with that? Yeah. And we're like, yeah. And then, because I was thinking, we're all going to go in there. We're all going to say he's guilty and I'm going to be home for dinner by five o'clock. It's going to be over. So now I'm thinking, oh, wow, okay, we're going to have to go through this process. I don't know what it means, but it's going to be the process of picking apart all of the exhibits, all of the evidence, all of it. Mm-hmm. So, okay, I've signed up for this. This is what we're going to do. And then you're given your jury instructions, which is basically what he's being accused of, and then the law. Yeah. Um, and what standards need to be met in order for you to have the verdict of the prosecution was going f- for first-degree murder. Mm. Um, which would have been premeditation. Mm. And then there's second degree murder, which would be just uh, murder, you know, to, to commit harm to somebody else, but not premeditated. And then there was manslaughter. And I think the defense was going for the manslaughter. I think that's, they, he, I think at some point they knew that he had done something, but they were thinking, you know, it was by accident or a crime of passion. So we began the process of getting organized. And luckily, we had a couple of people in the group that were really good at this. I was very impressed about how to stay, how to get organized and how to use critical thinking. And we started from the premise, let's just assume she wasn't murdered. Hmm. What about all of what we've heard would suggest that she wasn't murdered, that she just ended up there somehow? Yeah. So I was like scratching my head. Okay, we can start there. That seems kind of strange. But it was like, that's where you start. Yeah. And then you think, okay, maybe she killed herself. Right. Mm. She had PTSD. Sure. The, I read right? that there was, he was trying to play it off and he was telling detectives that she was suicidal. Mm. Yeah. Her family <clears throat> took exception with that. Yeah, because she, she liked to party and she liked to drink. And so he tried to turn that around and say that she had issues and all the rest of it. But mm-hmm. So we just um, began working that process through and looking at all of the the evidence that came through and then we were taking the law and we were matching it up with what was presented to us and then we really needed a lot of help so a couple of times we asked the judge to again reiterate what exactly is circumstantial evidence 
what exactly meets the crime of first-degree murder, which I was going for. I believed he had premeditated it. And I couldn't convince, there were six of us, I believe, that were going in that direction. But at the end of the day, we couldn't convince the others for that. So we had to land on second-degree murder. Yeah, that's understandable. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't realize that first-degree murder, when you premeditate, you can do it a moment before you harm someone. And I believe he laid in wait Mm -hmm. until she was either asleep or he drugged her. There was some medication evidence that was presented that she had something that he could have done. But because they couldn't autopsy her body, there was no way to figure that out. But then, you know, the jurors were really stuck on this. We don't know. We can't make these assumptions. There's no evidence to suggest that they didn't have a fight, that he wasn't defending himself and acted, you know, irrationally and uh, crime of passion, those kinds of things. So at the end of the day we had to kind of settle but it took uh about two days for the two people to go to one who still thought he was not guilty and it was because she did not understand the concept of the law that the burden of proof was on the prosecution right Mm -hmm. they had to prove it Mm -hmm. um and that there was reasonable doubt not zero doubt and she kept saying but there's this doubt and that doubt, and we don't know this and we don't know that. And we're like, yes, but the law says that we don't have to hold it to that standard. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. So if I go to bed and my grass outside is completely green, I go to sleep, I wake up in the morning, and I go out, and the s- there's snow covering my lawn, I don't have to see that it had snowed to say, it snowed last night. You know, beyond a reasonable doubt, it snowed last night. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we kept coming up with these examples to try to get her mind to switch and it just took a little bit but over time it did and she was so tearful she was when she she finally finally came came around and i said she said i'm just so sad that i'm sending a man to jail and i said i'm just so mad that or sad that a woman that mirabel ramos has lost her life and her family is suffering and her body was dumped in the desert did that did that click with this i actually apologize after saying that did you yeah okay because i told her i said i would imagine condemning someone especially she was very she was a christian woman Mm -hmm. i said i can relate to the fact that condemning somebody would be very painful but i i couldn't that didn't supersede my desire for justice for for justice i don't know what in her life would cause her to think that way but i knew something yeah sure or something happened there's something in the back of my mind that said that she must have had a brother i think that may or something either a brother that was put away who was innocent or she believed he was innocent. Believed he was innocent. Something about her personal mm. story that suggested that that was really. So you were in that jury room for two days. Is that how long it was before you came to a conclusion? No, I think we were in there for, to me, it, it was, it seemed like a week. <laughs> was it yeah. really that long? Yeah, because I think there was a weekend in there. Yeah. Um, so you get to go home though. And yeah. again, I'm sure it's the same thing, but I can't imagine not being able to talk about that when I get home. Yeah. That would be very hard. It was. Glenn just didn't, my husband just didn't ask. Yeah. We, I kind of maybe didn't even, I wasn't even around anybody. Yeah. I would just avoid everyone so I wouldn't feel that that need. And I should say something else that was interesting is one of the other jurors, we almost had a mistrial. Mm-mm. We come in one morning and one of the jurors is missing, this woman that was sitting next to me. And I'm thinking, oh gosh, here's my worst nightmare. Something happened and she's in trouble because one of the other jurors said she's talking with the judge right now. So come to find out, she had talked to her pastor, pastor or a priest. Oh, no. And she had told one of the other jurors, the juror went to the judge and said she's been talking about it. 
The judge interviews her and determines that she never said a name. She never gave any details. She was talking to this person out of like the stress she was feeling. Is this um, the same woman that was having a hard time No, convicting? different woman. Oh, my goodness. The one next to me and the one across from me. Wow. It was... So the energy in there was like... A little difficult, but but I understood that we were all going through a lot, and yeah. some people more than others, I would assume. Sure, sure. Um, and you know, we were being shown pictures, yeah, of things that nobody would want to see. You know, you didn't have to look at them. Did did that stick with you for a while? Yeah, what? I mean, I think I felt nauseous for about two months afterwards. You know, mm. I just felt sick about it um, until the sentencing, and then. Um, and you went to the sentencing. Mm-hmm. I was the only juror to. that you did. Were. Mm-hmm. And why did you want to go? Because I, at that point, I could then tell the family how sorry I was, but I couldn't talk to them before that. So at that point, that responsibility is over. And mm-hmm. so I just introduced myself. They didn't recognize me because I was behind that barrier the whole time. And I just said who I was. But I also felt bad because they were very upset that we didn't come up with the first degree murder. Yeah conviction first degree murder is real tough though that is that's a hard one yeah. especially you don't have Ev- it's evidence. all circumstantial yeah. circumstantial i don't know i think that's the best you could hope for and yeah. even at that it was a struggle yeah i think people. they i think they you know they were kind enough to say thank you for what you did and we're so yeah. glad that he's put away but you know his sentence was 15 years that's i mean not- he'll he'll be out I think he was up for parole. He was up for parole in 2022. I tried to, I I did a Google search on him just yesterday. There's no, he was actually up for parole in 2023 of February of 2023. It does not say anything. I even looked to see if he had been up and had gone in front of a parole board. Parole board. Mm -hmm. And there was no information. Mm -hmm. The most information that I could find about him is that he wanted a retrial. Yeah, yeah, he wanted he would, to be re. He actually wanted to be resentenced. He didn't want to retry. Oh, is that he it? wanted to re-sentenced. be resentenced based on some penal codes that were new. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What so he is. also the most interesting thing to me is that he's writing a book, mm-hmm. and the book is entitled entitled "Suspect: Guilty Until Proven Innocent." Sounds like a real page turner. Sounds like you know he's he. I'm sure he's trying to justify or trying to remember when OJ wrote that book. If I had done it, <laughs> remember that. <laughs> Let's He's just right up that, there. Let's just put that in the. Oh, I think he even made he alluded to O.J. Simpson. Sure, I think if you're I was right. O.J. Simpson, I'd have better attorneys. I'd have better blah, attorneys. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. He's right. She, well, <laughs> He's not wrong. No, he's not wrong. I mean, money. So he, yeah. yeah, yeah. He was convicted for 15 years, mm-hmm. which made him eligible for parole sooner. Yeah. The reality is, he's going to get out soon. Yeah. Yeah, he's going to the way that things are going in California specifically right. with all of these types of things, they are going to let him out. I don't feel great about that. But at the end of the day, he's only sentenced to 15 years. 15 years goes by like that. OK, right. so let's say he could get out as early as 2022 what, is when he was it was up for parole. But I'm saying if he served his entire yes. thing, yeah. we're still only looking at another. He's, a he's, couple years. he's only got another few years on that sentence. Yeah. So. There's a good chance that he's going to get out. And there's nothing that the that's unfortunately how our judicial system works. I know. I wonder what his life would be like. People know his name, especially he's in this He's going to change his name. Well, he'll use oh. his real name. First thing I, he's going to do. I assume he's going to leave California, but I don't know if he can. Can you? Can oh, well, when California? you're on parole, no, I. You're on parole for however many years. How many years would he be on parole? Ha- well, he could get special. N- none of this is interesting in any way, but he can't. He can get special permission because he can't find a job, or he can't. The harassment is such, and blah, blah, uh-huh. he could get special permission to leave the state. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, yeah. just, that's dumb. 
the mm-hmm. quick question about the jury what was the makeup of the jury was it heavy with women one way or another was it heavy with uh, white folks were there any korean folks on that jury um i cannot recall exactly but i do not believe so okay. um there were three women and the rest were men oh um there was a chef there was a small business guy that was retired there was another corporate guy he he ended up being the one that was really organized you know yeah he got the whiteboard out <laughs> he's like the six sigma guy he's using yeah. six sigma on <laughs> the jury <laughs> he went ross perot yeah. pulled out his whiteboard and started making maps drafts. let's do it yeah all kinds of things and which was good to have visuals sure yes. i worked that way so absolutely yeah i think it sounds like every jury need every jury needs a guy like that that can really pull everybody together and let's yeah. do some let's just get down to the nitty-gritty and make this happen yeah. With your experience in doing this, are you and happy's not the word. Are you glad are you are you glad that you had this experience? Oh, definitely. Definitely. I mean, we're always trying to get out of this and <laughs> well, really? yeah, I mean, I was so happy to be part of a getting justice for somebody that was murdered. So that's always something that I'll be happy about. Yeah. Um, but the sadness is is more profound. Sure. Just that the way that she was treated and just you know slaughtered and then thrown out in the desert is is abhorrent to me and the fact that he's not going to be in there for his lifetime Mm-mm. that's bothersome sure mm-hmm. but yeah i was glad for the experience as a psychologist you can imagine i mean this mm-hmm. was like human behavior 101 I microcosm mean, of it like you're sitting in a jury room with this oh, yeah. 12 people i mean this is like you, you yeah. hit the jackpot for yourself i know i was very happy about that and then when we were leaving that was the other thing when it was all over uh, the ner- most nervous i was was to go back out and they they announced the verdict and i knew that it wasn't first degree murder and you could hear the family mm. just screaming really yeah and i felt Aww. awful that they had that moment um but then of course they you know we found him guilty of second degree and that that i think hopefully calm them down but I just I remember the wailing and just feeling like mm. we didn't we didn't do it we, we didn't, didn't do we our failed. job yeah we failed. we failed and then I realized very quickly of course we didn't fail no this was not our failure this was just the best of the best that we could do with what we had it's not about what you can it's a, it's only about what can be proven and yeah. that's all you have to work with that's what's so frustrating about it because you have your sixth sense you have your feeling you know that that feeling's correct. Yeah. You know that creepy creeperton over there is the one who did it. Yeah. And if you could put him away for life, you would. At the very least, this is cold justice, of course. At least you didn't. He didn't get manslaughter. Yeah. That would have been a true disaster. Right. right. Or just not guilty. Right. I mean, which didn't sound like an option. Or aside. a mistrial. Or a hung jury. Yeah. I mean, there were so many other ways to go about to end that trial. I, I'm just glad it wasn't manslaughter because he, yeah. he'd be out already. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. We appreciate you coming on this podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. Thank you I, for, for sharing that. Yeah. And thank you for giving me an opportunity to bring her back up and and keep her memory alive by talking about her. It's something that sticks with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I put it away for a while until you <laughs> reached out and wanted to talk about it. And then I started to think about it. And I'm glad, even though it hurts to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And I feel so badly for the family. I'm, I'm happy that we're keeping her memory alive. So 
Thank you. Thank you, Susie. We appreciate having you on. That does it for this edition of Two Average Girls. I'm Ann Police. And I'm Denise Cooper. We'll see you next time. Episodes of Two Average Girls are free wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to hit the follow or subscribe button on the Two Average Girls main page so you never have to go searching for new episodes. Our editor is Aiden Bloomstein. Our social media producer is Samantha Stone. And original music for Two Average Girls is by Jason Fries. <laughs>